welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so much more. And we are so happy to be part of the spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now on with the show. I spin on your podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles and I step away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, we are back pitting an original against this remake. We'll be looking at 1998's Ring and 2002's The Ring. How will they compare? Which one will come out on top? Let's find out. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. Here we are here to talk about Ring, which, funny enough, Kelly and I were just talking about how we've both been pronouncing it wrong for the longest time. <laughs> Forever. Forever. For super white so, Canadians. And yeah, so we don't know just, what we're doing. For, yeah, just for people jumping in, Ring is not Ringu. The no. U is silent. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I think it's because we're Canadian and we think about Pingu, that adorable little penguin, Pingu. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame it on that. Blame it on that really fucking cute penguin. That really cute <laughs> penguin that just haunt horns all the time. It's super creepy. Oh, no, it is really creepy. <laughs> Speed of technology. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Yeah, claymation. That is just a whole other thing. I have seen some interesting claymation videos in my life. Anyway, to jump into the topic that we're here for this month, it has kind of been Japanese horror month for us over at the Spinsters of Horror again. Uh, just when we tend to choose the movies, we tend to stick with that theme for the month. So this month, we were talking about Japanese horror, but we're actually just talking about The Ring and comparing it to its American remake from 2002. So Kelly, I know we normally do this in every episode, but like, what was your interaction with this film or the remake as well? Any stories around these? I saw The Ring remake first. I saw that one first, long, long time ago, probably around the time that it came out. Did it see it in theater? Probably, actually, 2002, 2003. Yeah, so I saw that one first and then was really curious to hear about the fact that it was, you know, was a remake and see the original. And then it took me a while to actually watch the original. I wasn't really like, I didn't know that much about Japanese horror, like 10, 15 
like almost 20 years ago now. Wow, it's mm. 2021. That was 2002. So a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that much about Japanese horror. And then I ended up getting a partner who loved Japanese horror. And so I was able to, to see more and I watched it then. But I actually haven't revisited until now for the podcast. So I was really excited to do that. And that is very true. And I think my experience with uh, Ring, the Japanese version, was within the last year or two, I was able to watch it because it was up on... It was available on Shudder and I'd always want to see it because I tend to like Japanese uh, um, horror because I'm a big Japanese anime fan so I was definitely down my alley but the funny story is you introduced me to The Ring the remake oh boy oh Did you gotta, I? You, yes <laughs> oh my god I don't remember this, this memory is so vivid <laughs> in my mind this was I'll never forget this. It was a night where I was with my ex-girlfriend, Ashley, and you, me, Ashley, and her friend Cheryl at the time. We were all hanging out at Cheryl's oh, place. And you brought over the ring for us to watch. And they were like, man, okay, let's watch it. And I'm just like, I want to watch this, but I'm going to be so scared. Like, this is when I was, like, super scared of watching anything yeah. horror. Like, that was still the time where you, like, bailed on The Exorcist and they were still in Israel. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you're like, yeah. that's so, too scary about Yeah. <laughs> what? Exactly. So we started watching the movie. Ashley and Cheryl like buggered off. They didn't want to mm-hmm. be around. They were getting bored. But like I was totally into it. But oh, I was right. covered up in a blanket. Like right. absolutely everyone. I'm laying on the couch, covered in a blanket. My eyes right. peeking out. Kelly's across from me on the other couch, and like literally like coaching me through a horror movie. She was just like, "Okay, so you can tell when a scary thing is going to happen when this happens, or this camera angle, or this music comes on." I'm just like. This woman is a genius, but I'm still terrified. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Now, now it's coming back to me. And wow, I was, <laughs> I was teaching and guiding you so long ago. Teaching me and guiding you so long ago, and that was the first and only time that I had watched The Ring. So revisiting it now, almost like twenty something years oh, later, oh shit, was was very interesting for me because I'm like, I remember when I first saw this. This movie terrified me. Kelly had to walk me through it. <laughs> And if I <laughs> held people's hands, I would have held your hand through it. Yeah. Oh, no, wow. you just sat on the furthest couch away from just yep. being, being like, and also like loving the scenes when I was jumping. Because you'd also know when something was going to come yep. up and he just like cackle at me when I <laughs> freak out. Some things never change. Nope. <laughs> they do not. Another fun story yeah. of, of Kelly's involvement in my horror journey in, our, in my life. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of themes that can come up from these films, both of them in particular. And I know that both The Ring and Ring have been talked about in, in regards to issues around families and single motherhood. And we, you know, when we were discussing what we wanted to talk about with these films, you know, because we like to talk about some of the themes that are being presented... We know that this has been talked about with these films, and that's great. And we we saw something different. I think something also very relevant for the time period that we are currently existing in. So some of the themes, and this also came from an article that Kelly and I read in our initial research for this uh, episode, was talking about how the film uh, Ring and also its American remake, how they look at the ideas of technology and our human fears around it, and also around isolation, which is very prominent for us right now (laughs) because we are currently going through year two of a pandemic and we are literally forced into isolation and forced to rely on our technology just to have any kind of contact with the human world. Mm -hmm. So 
totally fascinating to watch these films during this time period and having those feelings and same thoughts. To kind of like start this episode off, we're going to talk about technology and the idea of technofear. And knowing me and the person that I am and how I like history, kind of like <laughs> a little brief history for you guys about the fear of tech. Where did, you know, where did our where did our human fear of technology come from? Well, interesting enough, it's not an all human fear. It's like a country. It's like an origin. It's like a region fear, regional fears. Mm-hmm. But the fear of tech kind of really started around like the 1890s. And I think this is a really funny story. And this is why I want to talk about it. it was it started around when bicycles were, were invented. <laughs> and people were terrified that these machines on wheels <laughs> could wreak havoc on society. And that they were actually linking increased cases of insanity to the uses of bicycles, particularly among women. <laughs> that women, if they continue to use bikes, would go insane. And it would be very dangerous to our health. And I just think it's a hilarious now because I live in Ottawa and like bicycles are just like a way of life here like if you don't have a bike you're looked at weird in Ottawa because everyone mm-hmm. bikes everywhere mm-hmm. but it's so interesting how we over time grow these fears of technology when there's a, a new way of advancement of doing something and another part of in those research that we were looking at this idea of being afraid of technology is this insult slash term called Luddite and I remember mm-hmm. hearing this myself mm-hmm. being you know thrown around and it was really interesting to learn about like where it comes from when someone's called a Luddite it's meaning that that you're being very anti-tech about something and this comes from the 19th century when an organization of uh, English mill workers known as Luddites began mm. smashing textile machinery as a form of protest because they were afraid that machines were taking their jobs. Which they essentially did so that's fair. Which is the thing. <laughs> well and I think it's really interesting right it's like this evolutionary idea that mm-hmm. humans tend to fear what we don't think is normal or what we can't control mm-hmm. and so it triggers our own fear of lacking control of a situation like if we can't control situations that we are in and we have to rely on the machine to do something it just triggers our evolutionary fear to want to destroy that machine because it's either not working fast enough or it's not opening the window that you want right away or it's you know taking your job or you know or or it's making you think I'm just I'm I'm thinking back to all those people who are when I worked at Home Depot terrified of self-checkouts because they're just like oh my god like I don't know how to do this I'm like it's a machine you tell it what to do yeah (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the early days of the telephone where people thought they could use it to communicate with the dead. That's right. That yeah. I found was hilarious and not surprising whatsoever. Humans fear the unusual, the unfamiliar, the unknown. And I love definitions. Jess loves fun facts, fun historical facts. <laughs> I love definitions. Technophobia. It's pretty straightforward, but the abnormal fear or anxiety about the effects of advanced technology affecting, which actually affects one third of the population, causing health problems and the inability to work efficiently. So obviously, if you have general anxiety about technology and and progress, that's one thing. But if you have a full phobia that can negatively impact your life. And I feel like we've talked a lot about phobias in the last six months, a variety of different types. (laughs) Astrophobia, (laughs) necrophobia. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) a lot of there's a lot of phobias that we're learning about in yeah, these journeys <laughs> yes just during the pandemic there's a lot of, a lot of fears a lot of anxiety going on I think that's probably affecting our plans like uh, subconsciously <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're literally sitting every day in our own fears so we yeah. have to keep researching what this means fear <laughs> wait so, I have a phobia of fear itself yeah <laughs> So the tech, so technophobia and this fear of technology is related to obviously it's 
the irrational phobias tend to go to the realm of extremity. Fear of computers, robots, AI, weapons, and other other objects that seem advanced in scientific thought. So going back to the, the fear of loss of control. So this is actually very huge. Yeah, self-checkouts. <laughs> <But> <laughs> love those so I don't see people. So going back to the fear of loss of control, which is, I think, a bigger aspect out of this. Uh, So the people that are afraid or don't like this loss of control are afraid, more afraid to be in a train or in an airplane like Jess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're actually more likely to die in a car crash than going on a train or in an airplane. But that desire to be in control is so, so strong that you'd rather be in the car, be in control, even though your likelihood of dying in that car is way, way higher. So more, so new technology, you know, our progression technologically can, can potentially mean more of a loss of control and that can then lead to fear, which I think is totally understandable. I get that. Ask those questions, be, you know, discerning on things, but then also this fear can have negative effects on progress and progress generally isn't a bad thing, but again, asking questions is really important. Big fears that people have, cyber terrorism, government data tracking, and corporate data tracking. Overall, as a society, we are more afraid than ever. We have cell phones that easily can access all kinds of really good, but also really, really bad information. It causes anxiety, isolation, fear, depression, and all of that. And that, I think, is fucking something that's happening right now. Doom and gloom. It's called doom scrolling. I think that's a thing that literally was termed during this pandemic. Yeah, to be sitting on your phone and your computers and just scrolling through Reddit, scrolling through Facebook, Twitter, all the news cycles, and you just, you're literally like, it's a scrolling mechanism. And this idea of fear of, you know, uh, being out of control, but also being replaced, right? Mm-hmm. To be no longer be deemed as a valuable member to society or useful, right? So especially with the rise of cell phones and computers, um, we got the technological, the technological age in terms of the digital era, right? Where Mm-hmm. More and more work is being done on computers, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a divide between generations, between the younger and older generation, where the older generation has a harder time learning the ins and outs of the computer and figuring things out or working on their mm-hmm. cell phone, you know? And it's like this huge age gap where we have to, like, I remember, like, remember having to learn how to use the internet instead of probably or how to work a modem to be able to help solve computer problems at home. Like, we all have been part of that generation mm-hmm. of doing that, but a lot of this is because people feel intimidating and they get this anxiety around it because it's unfamiliar to them and they're like oh and I saw this a lot when I used to work at uh, Home Depot when a lot of the order systems and stuff that became more digitalized and became Mm -hmm. more of based on a software and you're using a computer, like a lot of the older staff members had a really hard time mm. working on the computers and they felt like they were, you know, increasingly not able to do their jobs. And so their quality of life decreased because they mm-hmm. don't feel, they, they feel like they've lost their independence and their autom- autonomy because they don't feel like they can do anything anymore. And I think, I think it's interesting because I have times every so often where like something new technologically comes out and I'm like, I know nothing about that. Oh my God, am I one of, am I the older generation now that needs like my <laughs> niece or nephew to show me how to use something <laughs> Because I'm like, oh my God, how does that work? (laughs) But it's like we have to constantly keep up with trying to understand technology to be a useful, valuable member of society, be able to hold our jobs and stuff like that. And so it just Mm -hmm. creates this fear because it feels like control is spiraling out really quickly because technology just keeps getting better. In our research, it was digital literacy. So it's like really important because everything is reliant upon 
technology and computers and software and, and, and all of that. So yeah, it can be, it's overwhelming at times, even, even for us, I think in our age. So, so going into the, because we're here for Japanese horror, we'll get into West versus East on the idea of technology and techno fear, because it's like just said, it's fear of technology is different based on which country you're in. Each country has their own uh, accessibility to technology. What's, you know, what's out there for them to use the importance of it. So us in Canada, yes, digital literacy is, is pretty huge, but you know, in different countries, it's going to be different. So predominantly looking at AI or robots, because we found this really great article about the Western and Eastern views on technology, but particularly looking at robots. So Japanese folks, robots have actually always been a part of their culture. They're not afraid of them. They're not afraid of AI. They're very welcoming to technological progress and having robots. And they're the ones, you know, advancing everything and leading the charge. But over here in the West, we are afraid of robots. We are afraid of AI. I may or may not be one of them. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> cyber, cyberdyne. It's a thing. So in the West, the concept of humanity is, we're going to get a little esoteric here today, but the Western concept of humanity is quite limited comparatively. In our Western society, we have claimed dominion over literally everything we'd like to try. Humans, we have done that. We still do. Other humans, other races have been seen, some genders and sexes historically yeah. have been seen as lower or even non-human slavery. Animals, we love to do anything we possibly can to animals because we claim dominion over them and the environment and definitely technology. We think humans are special and we're better and above all of these things. We think we can, quote, own them and we oppress everything that is considered non-human. So we dehumanize everything. If you are different than being human, you don't matter. We're just going, we're going to take over you. And that's that. So the notion of ownership and economics obviously is what gave, gave birth to slavery at a massive, massive scale. And so over in the East, that is not the same. And it very well could be related to religious differences. Yeah, so Japan's national religion, uh, Shinto, allows for a more successful integration of robots in society because they do not believe that humans are special. That nature mm -hmm. does not belong to us and that there are spirits in everything. Rocks, tools, like homes, empty spaces, like everything. Everything has some kind of form of life to it. And uh, Westerners have a problem with this and mm -hmm. it's termed uh, anthropomorphism which is yeah. the attribution of human-like attributes to things. And we see this in, in Japanese anime, you know, <laughs> and this can be seen as very childish, yeah. primitive, and even bad, which mm -hmm. I think is really interesting because I anthropomorphize everything. They <laughs> <So. laughs> even don't like it. Like some people don't like it when we do it to, to animals, like our pets, let's say. Yeah. Like, that's not your baby, that's a dog. And I'm like, well, we can still take care of them as yeah. well as if they were babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I'm going to say now, I have a little stuffed plush orange cat that I got after my baby Caesar passed away, and I call him Caesar too as well, mm -hmm. and I feel bad if I accidentally kick him off my bed. I'm like, oh my god, Caesar, and I run and pick him up and put him back. <laughs> like, you know, um, and it comes from, which is really interesting because we're talking about uh, Japanese anime. Jap mm. Japanese children grow up with a lot of anime as part of their world, and they often this Japanese this animation shows humans working 
working alongside machines to try to create a perfect world or fight against invaders. Yeah. Mecha anime, all the Gundams, yeah. like all of that stuff. Yeah. Like I have watched so much Japanese anime where this theme of robots being a part of society yeah. and the questioning what it is to be human and stuff like that really comes up a lot in anime. And mm-hmm. Osama Tezuka, the Japanese cartoonist and creator of Atom Boy, He noted the relationship between Buddhism and robots, and he has a quote here saying, Japanese don't make a distinction between man, the superior creature, and the world about him. Everything is fused together, and we accept robots easily along with the wide world around us. The insects, rocks, it's all one. We have none of the doubting attitudes towards robots as cytohumans that that you find in the West. So here you find no resistance, simply quiet acceptance. Hmm. You know, we we have some robots over here, but they're like R2-D2, and I I don't watch a lot of that stuff, but there's, you know, R2-D2. Who else? Who's else a robot? In the Jetsons, there was a robot. I think she was a housekeeper. Yeah, but but at the same time, too, though, we treat them as lower than us, right? She was a maid, and R2-D2 was still a robot. He was kind of like, you know, even though R2-D2 was one of the best things that came out of uh, Star Wars just because he gets shit done. He does. <laughs> I probably would get in shit for anthropomorphizing that adorable robot. Right? Is he right? adorable? I don't know. He's just a hunk of fucking metal. But I think that's my favorite character in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> right? And then there's C-3PO. You know, he Everyone has seemingly more, quote, <laughs> intelligence. But, you know, they, he would still be viewed generally as lower than. There's this really great quote in, in that article that said, in the long run, maybe it's not so much about humanizing or dehumanizing, but rather a problem of creating in a privileged class, humans, that we use to arbitrarily justify ignoring, oppressing, and exploiting. Ugh, that's so true. And humans are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Because of these things, we are not special, and that's what we do. We exploit and oppress and just destroy everything. If we can't control it, nature, (laughs) we destroy it. Absolutely. Yeah. So kind of like to bring us kind of back to a ring and the ring, like, and we'll talk about this more about how these films measure up when it comes to these themes of technology. But I find within the Japanese film, technology is a lot less of a fear in that film. It's 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 prevalent. Like, you know, you're seeing how they're using technology as creating a circle, yes. allowing something to spread. And this is, you know, how it's going to be. But like what we see in the mm-hmm. American remake, The Ring, technology is feared. And there is so many amazing shots throughout that whole movie that really emphasize that, yeah. that this time around. We are recognizing that. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get into compare and contrasting. A lot of a lot more tech talk in the Ring remake. <laughs> so it's going to be the Ring, folks, which is remake and then Ring. Ring. <laughs> original. Original. So just got to keep this all in. Yeah. <laughs> so the other theme that we're going to talk about is isolation and then this really interesting concept that you just actually brought to to my attention called hikikomori. So first we'll talk about the social isolation and isolation in North America because again we have a remake and original from different countries. Last time we did this for the two rabid movies, Cronenberg though Canadian and the other one was American, there's not a lot of differences between, you know, generally speaking the uh, Canadian, North America, the Western movies, but there's a lot of differences between doing an Eastern and a Western. So this is really great. So North America, the the, the idea and concept of isolation. So this is all going to be very, very relevant and it's going to touch. It's going to touch us. (laughs) That sounds really strange. (laughs) It's It's going to get get deep into this. A lot of us. Oh my God, thank you. You're much more (laughs) articulate. So there's huge differences between loneliness, solitude, 
choice and being forced into isolation, as we know. Generally speaking, isolation, whether it's forced or or not, you know, we have solitary confinement in in prisons. You know, we'll get we'll you know talk about the astronauts that live in space stations for long, long periods of time, years with minimal outside human contact besides the random people, the odd people that are up there, or they're by themselves. So you can have people can develop feelings of anxiety, claustrophobia. They can feel trapped when they're isolated. More so, let's say when you are in a forced isolated situation. And in our movies, we definitely see the forced isolation, unfortunately. And there's definitely a big difference between loneliness and solitude. You can be alone and lonely or alone and not lonely. You know, you can have the best of both worlds, I guess. Well, that's that's how <laughs> introverts survive. Like myself as an introvert, like yeah. I have a lower threshold for dopamine. And so I'm easily, very easily worn out by social interaction. So I need a lot of right. solitude to recharge myself. Right. But when I'm, yeah, I hear about when that. I'm alone, yeah. I'm not necessarily lonely. I'm alone by choice because I need to recharge myself to be be out with people. But right now, as Kelly is indicating, like we're living in an unprecedented time where we're being forced into social isolation and Mm -hmm. it's making moments of our solitude feel claustrophobic because it's not by choice. We're all like, yes, a lot of us are doing this by choice. Stay at home, save lives. I am doing this by choice. So is Kelly. However, we're doing it because we're in a global pandemic and it's impacting a lot of people in many ways. Yeah. There's a difference between physically being isolated and emotionally Mm. being isolated. You know, not everyone that has limited social connections or interactions feels lonely. You know, some people that have a lot of social interactions connections do. I can say personally that the only real times that I ever felt lonely is when I was dating multiple people and all those other people were doing other things and I was the only one that was at home. It was the only time in my life I've ever felt lonely. Okay. I got over it pretty quickly, but those were the moments. There was a lot of people in my life and that's when I felt lonely. It's interesting. But uh, so social isolation. So here we are and and ourselves in a socially isolated environment for a year going into year two. But social isolation can actually harm us emotionally, mentally, physically. It can hurt our our brain. It's hurting our brains. I know it doesn't work as well as it it has in the past. Uh, So the lack of human contact can actually affect our cognitive health. And isolation can actually lead to loneliness. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but it can potentially lead to loneliness, depending on how long it happens. So there are documented side effects of social isolation. Increased risk of cognitive decline, dementia, especially these older folks, these older generations, especially right now when they can't see their families, they barely can see their little old friends. Mental health consequences, depression, anxiety, worsening of those illnesses. If you've already had them going into this a a socially isolating incident like the pandemic, there's uh, people routinely report confusion, changes in personality. And again, episodes of anxiety and depression. Again, thinking of those in solitary confinement. We're not going to get into solitary confinement and the ethics of that, but that seriously damages people. And they've been studying, they've been trying to study the impacts of uh, isolation and loneliness for a long time now. Right now, the pandemic has actually allowed Mm -hmm. for massive studying of loneliness and what isolation does to people. And so uh, when the pandemic first came out, especially over in the UK, they started a study 
to see what socialization impacts on the brain. They had like over 70,000 participants who filled out a weekly survey and answered phone questions and talked about their well-being, their mental health and all their coping strategies. And like Kelly said, they're revealing more and more that it does have mm-hmm. a negative impact on your body as well as your poor, on your body, creating your poor health as well as on your own, on your mind, your cognitive abilities and increasing the mm-hmm. factors of loneliness. And they're already trying to study how loneliness impacts people because our older generations tend to end up alone a lot of the time and they don't actually have Mm -hmm. a lot of deep friendships or connections and so when they tend to do well with their mental and their physical well-being they tend to do well when they are in social situations and they are still interacting like Kelly said with their friends in the home or at the like little church gatherings they would go to but it was really interesting learning more about the difference between loneliness and social isolation and how where it comes to loneliness like it's hard to make friends when you're an adult and it was really hard when to learn how that the average American has at least by 1995 had at least three close confidants, whereas in 2004 they're down to two, and approximately one of four Americans have reported having no close confidants. Hmm. That's kind of sad. Not even one close. Not friend. even one close friend. And they even they even released further from the study in 2020 that they found that 71 percent of millennials and almost 79 percent of Gen Z respondents reported feeling lonely and significantly in a significantly greater portion than other generations because it's hard to make friends it's hard to be to interact with other people and because we spend so much time glued to televisions or phones or you know that we're not really creating those connections with people anymore but then also right now too we're in a pandemic and we're living in social isolation and that makes creating those friendships even harder I've never had a problem making friends, but I can definitely tell, I can, I can understand why folks would have a hard time. You know, the, the classic, well, you make friends with like your hobbies and this and that and all these things when you do all these group activities. And it's like, I'm not really a group activity person, but <laughs> <laughs> still somehow managed to make some kind of friends. I'm always the one making the first move though. That's for sure. Um, well, you're, you're definitely <laughs> the person who's able to like make herself vulnerable and show trust to people right away. And it was kind of interesting, like yeah. reading this article and they were talking about like how to combat this like increasing loneliness and this increasing cognitive like you know breakdown of people because they're you know they're isolated and it's like okay well you know it it is harder for my friends but here's a way you can kind of help to take care of yourself and make friends yeah and one of the four things that they talked about was like you know keeping an open mind like give everyone a chance yeah not everyone's gonna like everything that you like but they may like a couple things so you know (laughs) connect over that um be the friend that you like to have right you know be the person like if you want if you want to provide emotional support and you want that provided to you be that you know ask questions about their life every day and follow up on important events about them like you know treat them the way you would want to be treated as a friend kelly already said making yourself vulnerable showing trust like showing things something sharing something personal about yourself and incur and having the courage to be the first one to extend someone to an invite to someone and being okay if you Mm -hmm. get turned down just because Mm -hmm. that person says no one time they may not be feeling up to it but they may say yes the next time because they they feel up to it and also being compassionate to yourself like you're also going to make mistakes when we're building relationships and that's okay what you gotta (laughs) do is just apologize and move on and i find that you know i know myself too we tend to get in our heads a lot about things that we say or do and we're like oh my god why i say it why i do that now they're mad at me blah 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 blah. (laughs) half the time you just be like just apologize and move on no one cares at the end of the day because really we've got bigger pressing things that are happening right now and the fact that we are all living once again in a global pandemic we're all socially isolated from each other and we just don't have time for that No, the more you know how to make friends by Jess. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so final thing I would say about that is documented research information that less social interaction can disrupt your sleep patterns, alter your immune system, high, elevate inflammation in your body, and elevate stress hormones. So if you're not feeling well, there's a good fucking reason for it. So it's, you know, it's try your best to, to get the help that you need during this time, that's for sure. Uh, so speaking of social isolation and how it's affected folks, Jess, how has social isolation affected you, if it has at all? <laughs> oh, God. Um, it has impacted me in uh, many ways. Um, I... I have really, really bad social anxiety. So the fact that, and so before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of exposure therapy to get better at going out and doing things and interacting with people and not being afraid of people. And now the pandemic has just like killed that. And I'm like literally afraid of everything outside. and people so it's going to be an interesting time after the pandemic getting myself back out there again and being okay and not freaking out when I'm on a on a OC transport or something like that or yeah so it has definitely impacted me in that way and it is impacted you know not being able to see like fucking like just you know just trying to schedule when to see partners and just talking to people I don't know and like I haven't been this is going to be the second year that I won't have travel to see you right so it's been like two years mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the only thing I guess that's good that's come out of the pandemic is that our our online interaction has increased significantly <laughs> in, a, in a huge yep. way but it's uh it's it's mm-hmm. uh it's definitely impacted me I'm not all I'm not all mm-hmm. like you know rainbows and roses every day <laughs> are you ever right <laughs> you, you know what I mean like I'm not like I'm yes, not yes I'm not thriving <laughs> in this situation right now right how about you right. yeah yeah um, I mean, besides the obvious, like, yeah, I miss seeing people and my family and doing shit. Um, it's pretty much not affected me. I I am more social now during the pandemic than I ever was prior to this pandemic. Like, I hang out and talk to friends and do things online with them multiple times a week. Whereas prior to the pandemic, I would see friends a couple of times a month. That was it. A couple of times a month, like maybe two to three times, depending on what kind of like events were happening in the city. If we wanted to hang out because folks are we're all busy, busy, quote unquote, busy, just like, I guess, the hustle and bustle of life. And, you know, so that's fine. I, I've been a lone wolf my entire life. Like I was the kid that. I hung out with my friends sometimes for sure, but mainly I was like home watching movies or reading books and I prefer to be alone. I live alone. So I'm more thriving in this than I am negatively affected by it. I love being alone. So this is fine with me. Again, I'm totally fine with the social isolation. I'm also fine with doing something for the greater Mm -hmm. good. I am all about doing that. I have no problems doing things for for the greater good. And that's kind of how I live my life anyways. Life philosophies, (laughs) you know. So social isolation is fine for me. I'm I'm totally good. I'm thriving. Which is which is great. Thriving hermit. Yeah. <laughs> so then you are probably one of the many of the numbers of the of this new social isolation uh, hikomori idea <laughs> that's coming out of Japan. The, the hikikomori. Yes, I, I I just I really liked learning about this. So you're the one that brought it to my attention. So how did you learn about this? Like what was your experience and how did you come across this? Um, um, well, I learned about this through my partner, uh, David, because, you know, he watches a lot of Japanese anime with me. And so we would talk about mm-hmm. uh, the different things like otakus and weebs. And then he introduced mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, and he said something to me, but he's like, I, you know, closer to coming, becoming more of a, a 
hikamori than an actual weed. But I was like, what mm-hmm. is that? And then like you talked to, and then I looked it up. It was like, oh, social chose self chosen isolation. Okay. Yes. Yeah. However, I have a mental illness <laughs> that I'm not supposed to mess with, so I need to go outside. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I will I will go the bad hermit route. So I feel yeah, like for me, doing the online social stuff has been good for me during this pandemic because it's yeah. keeping me yeah. from completely shutting down and never talking to a single person mm-hmm. again. Right. That's fair. Well, you know, we're doing lots <laughs> of hanging out, which is really great. I pretty much see Jess like every fucking week, sometimes multiple times yep. a week. Yep. It's, it's so <laughs> different. Sometimes I would see her once a month, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we'd hang one, out. Yeah. So this is great. <laughs> so this hikikomori, besides being really interesting to me as my own kind of hermit life, folks in Japan started noticing this kind of shift in like a trend and the pattern of behavior in Japan in the 1990s. So hikikomori means pulling inwards, being confined. So it's actually characterized as acute social withdrawal or in a less sexy term, a shut in, which I'm doing quotes, of course, that nobody can see. But, you know, that's that's kind of the the recluse, mm, you know, yeah. the which we we deem quite negatively over here uh, in North America. So essentially our hikikomori withdraw from social life without any kind of seemingly underlying physical or mental condition. It's extreme social isolation. So folks, if I didn't have to leave the house to go to work, this would be me like I would just I'd be keeping up with my golem self, opening the door to get my deliveries, and here we are. But these folks stay indoors almost every single day. They might live with their families or they'll live on their own, but they just live their social recluses, their modern day, quote, hermits. They live alone. They do everything online. They don't really have many friends, and they do. They hang out online with them, kind of like what's happening yeah, here. Yeah. But they don't leave their house, like maybe to run an errand, but they literally live inside. And they're the little, time. yeah, and they're being supported by their family. Because I, I found when we're doing more research into this that it was more middle to upper class individuals who are able to kind of withdraw into this lifestyle because they have family members who can provide for them and that's why that's mm-hmm. why they tend to link this to a lot of like preteens and early adults who tend to fall into mm-hmm. this they call it like a life like a lifestyle or stage in life yeah. because yeah they don't really know they what, eventually come out of it yeah they eventually come out and they don't really say that there's any kind of like like it's acute social withdrawal, but without any underlying physical or mental conditions to cause it, right? It just it just seems yeah, to happen yeah. because of other factors in life that they have chosen to no longer interact day to day with other individuals. Is you know because it's it's a, it's a chosen course of life for so many months to years. Yes, yeah, <laughs> a chosen lifestyle that they eventually come out of. You know, I remember reading one article um, about a gentleman that did it for like what six. I think it was like eight to 10 years or something. He was just like really focused on his art. He created video games and he just stayed home and just focused on his career. And he did very well. And hey, maybe we could learn something from these hikikomori and just like stay home and get your shit done, get your shit together. And so again, maybe, you know, prior to this, like everybody was so quote busy with their lives that we're not connecting with people as much. We're so busy with our hustle and bustle and the grind of making money. And nobody told us that we have to do this grind, but we're also, I think, vulnerable to to falling prey to that, that we don't end up having as close connections. Like I feel closer to my friends now than I did prior to the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know? And and so there, that's, that's interesting to me anyways. But, uh, and sometimes these hikikomori, there could be some, 
like academic failure, like maybe something has happened that caused them to kind of move inwards, maybe an unpleasant kind of social experience. Let's this, they kind of just go inwards. Let's just, you know, they want to stay inside and to stay with themselves for an extended period of time. Sometimes these folks go like six months. That's like a minimum time. And then sometimes it's years that they that they do this. And they have different categorizations. There could be like soft and hard, yes. right? People who don't leave their house yes. whatsoever yes. at all. That's like a hard hikamori. Yeah. And then there's there's the soft yeah. who are like, they go out once or two or twice a week. Yeah. I love that that's just like a soft thing. I was like, that just sounds so normal. <laughs> Again, if I didn't have to go outside to work, like, I would me. never leave my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. But, you know, maybe this uh, me leaving my house is actually just breaking up the monotony of the days of all being exactly the same. So, yeah. Um, but I also didn't work for three months and I did this and it was totally fine. But anyways, <laughs> not enough about me. <laughs> but technology and all of this, there yes. is a big link. The Internet is the place where these folks are socializing and they spend a lot of their time watching videos, video games, online chat rooms with with these folks. And that also that can keep them connected. But maybe also it's what's keep, keeping them disconnected if you know yeah. what I mean like they can still be online like we're doing but is it further distancing them from living their life I think that's kind of the great debate <laughs> and that was in other words I'm saying they, they can't seem to pinpoint a what the a, what are what mental conditions are under this that's causing this phenomenon and they also trying to say well maybe it's technology right because they're all saying well they're all they're they're mm-hmm. so focused on playing their because digi- they're digital they're, they're considered digital age hermits because they spend a lot of time yeah. on the internet playing games and they're like oh no yeah. this is an exasperating problem all you're doing is staying at home and, and, and playing video games all day but that's not necessarily the case um for a lot of them it's yeah they're spending if they're spending a lot of time at home and they have they maybe have developed a temporary social phobia for a bit so when they're spending their mm-hmm. time at technology like they said the usage of tech allows them to kind of break those periods of isolation so that they mm-hmm. can continue to also deepen their skills because like when you're playing a video game like you are challenging yourself you're challenging your your brain yeah. and the skill yeah. sets on and they yeah. they said they develop they tend to improve their self-esteem and stuff all the time like they build online communities and i know that you yeah. know earlier on as a child like growing up and living out in the woods i was like socially i was out oh, isolated yes. from my own peers in school yeah. so i had to literally yeah. you know so i thrived on chat rooms and you know talking to friends yeah. about anime and yep. stuff like that and then like you know, over over time, you would meet up with those people and they may become friends. Like yeah. these, they, these people can end up helping each other out of this isolation. Yeah, that's true. And there was in the, a study done in 2010 that the Japanese government did and they estimated that there was about 700,000 individuals living as hikikomori in Japan with the average age about 31. So the hikikomori has been leaked with potentially because of the breakdown of social cohesion and decay in social relationships, maybe based on technology maybe not maybe so you know rapid urbanization and quick technological progress which is all obviously prevalent in japan so is that the problem again all of this is still super new and they're still trying to figure it out it's just like this fascinating new research that they're doing but social isolation is on the rise and it's also spreading in the world they're starting to see folks like this in the united states morocco italy india finland and france and like we were saying earlier, each different types of social isolation can be based upon different types of factors in life, right? Right. We know it can be different yeah. in Japan, can be different over in France, yeah. different in the U.S. and all yeah. over the world for Absolutely. reasons. But- 
People are choosing this modern recluse lifestyle, choosing, not forcing. We kind of got off the the forcing aspect of it, but choosing to be socially isolated, understanding what that's going to to do to you and just the the consequences of, of that is very different than as we are right now, forced into our socially isolated worlds. Like I know, Jess, you said that like, if you're doing the right thing, then you are doing like you are socially isolated. But if you're not, and you're one of those folks that don't care, then fine. But you know, if you're doing the the socially responsible thing, being forced into the socially isolating experience, and either you've gotten used to it by now, or it's really hard for you to get used to it, or it's even worse for you right now. It's I, I don't know. I just it's it sucks. That's as articulated I put it eloquently. It just sucks. It just sucks right now. So moving on, um, before we get into talking about how these themes evolve in both the ring and ring, we have a guest spot. So Jenny Nilf is a programs director at the Austin Asian American Film Festival and has been working with the festival since its rebirth in 2015. She believes the films people engage with should not always be mainstream and loves finding audiences for under-the-radar, diverse, and thought-provoking cinema. She has had a dedicated career in film, from marketing to journalism, and in addition to her work at AAAFF, she is a marketing consultant for Bullfrog Films and DocSeek, a film critic at the Austin Chronicle and creates video essays for Certified Forgotten, among other freelance jobs. And so here are her thoughts on these films. The film adaptation and Hideo Nakata and Co, who worked on it, really honed in on what Japan was currently fearing at the time, which was isolation. And you get this with the key change of the protagonist from this happily married male to this single mother who is working her butt off to raise her child, but also is deeply invested and obsessed with her career and her trajectory. Her ex-husband is kind of a deadbeat college professor who hangs out with younger women. And the ring curse in the film is more technology and changing of the times. I mean, we'll get into it more with the 2002 U.S. version, but in 1998, Japan was kind of scared that a lot of younger people were connecting themselves to, like, relying too hard on the internet and computers, and suicide rate was going up. You see a lot of this reflective and horror throughout the end of the 90s and the early 2000s with not just Ringu, but also Audition and Pulse and Suicide Club. Japan has this fascination with the internet generation and how technology distances people from each other. Ringo explores a lot of that. It was a smart choice then to change it to a single mother because what? who is more isolated than a single mother trying to raise their kid on their own? It's very key and very interesting and in how just that slight change just makes the whole series and the whole film series really because in the US version they honed in extremely on that single motherhood and that kind of fear. In the U.S., it's a little bit different, though, with Verbinski, Gore Verbinski's remake. And what makes this remake kind of successful and very, very different from a lot of the J-horror remakes that came out around well, after Gore Verbinski kind of made it uh, the the remake to the genre 
of the 2000s is that he really honed in on what scares Americans. And what scares Americans is gore. There's blood, there's jump scares, there's this disillusionment from the American dream. Single motherhood in America obviously means something very different than single motherhood in Japan. Single motherhood in Japan, it's filled with, you know, loneliness and uh, breaking of cultural taboos. And it's not looked upon as something that is strong, but rather like you failed. His film just feels different. It it feels more like a horror movie versus in Nakata's film. Uh, it's It feels more like a thriller. The scares are a lot more subtle and you don't really see as much of Sadako as you see of Samara in The Ring. And while a lot of the themes cross over, Verbinski just ran with a total, it just feels like a totally different film when you watch them back to back. Uh, and one of the key differences you can even just see right off the bat is the video itself, where the video for the Japanese film feels a little bit more abstract, a little bit less punchy, less scary. It's it's more of a roadmap versus in The Ring, the video that you watch is genuinely unnerving. You have broken nails. You have this nasty like growth coming out of someone's mouth. It's more visually disturbing. In 2002, it's after this really weird time in U.S. horror where it was more in vogue to kind of poke fun at horror tropes. And then you have this film come along that is totally different than what we've been seeing and what we've been given for quite some time. You know, there's like this monotone color palette, a really brilliant score by Hans Zimmer, and a lot of distance. Like, I mean, one thing that is really similar between Verbinski and the Katos films are the fact that they show this isolation within city life. And Verbinski shows this with like giant like takes of apartment blocks that all kind of look the same. And you have Naomi Watts living in like one tiny apartment that looks like it could be anywhere in this major city. I think it's Seattle in the film. <laughs> then you have Nakata who shows his isolation through his patience and his long takes. So while they both have this like suffocating fear of being alone and doing things on your own and not having a support system to kind of get you through, they also are so different in how they expressed that and how they showed that and how Verbinski and Nakata just kind of like filmed each film. It's, it's fascinating because like when I was in college, I did this uh, study where I did a survey to Japanese students and American students and I asked them between the two which one scared them the most. And I did an even survey of Japanese students and American and it turned out 50-50, all American students said that the U.S. version actually scared them more than the Japanese version and vice versa. And essentially, at the end of the day, what scares a Japanese person is not going to be the same as what scares an American person. For America, like, the reason the ring works for us is the there's gore, there's jump scares, it's genuinely unnerving, the score tells you exactly how to feel and what and when, versus the Japanese version of the film, which is more patient with its scares. You know, Sadako is a really looming and and terrifying character, and you don't see her as often as you see Samara. I love the Japanese version and how slow and patient it is, 
But there is something so disgusting and gross about watching a girl whose limbs don't even like totally align with each other. She's gross and wet and grimy and dirty. And there's something so much more just gross about the U.S.'s version of the ring. As far as it goes to technology and isolation, that is... I think the Japanese version is better at expressing those themes. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the U.S. in 2002 wasn't as scared or in tune with those themes of isolation as Japan in 98 was. The isolation of technology kind of folds into both of these ideas in a sense, where technology for better or for worse, kind of makes us feel like we're closer together even when we're not. And I think that in some way, both of these films are ahead of their time and kind of like exploring that, but also gives way to so many, so much more to discuss when it comes to how technology and the spread of technology can actually make us feel more lonely and separated than we were before technology existed. Thank you so much, Jenny, for your contribution. Thank you. So now getting into it, how does The Ring, the American remake, compare to Ring? So first off, you know, the first theme that we had started with was our techno fear and technology. So I feel like, you know, fear of technology is it is a cross cultural thing, more prevalent in different areas of the world, as we talked about. But the effects of mass media on our humanity, our personalities, our identities, it's all over the place. And there's kind of somewhat of a fear. And I think some of this is more prevalent in in Japanese culture. But the fear that technology is actually going to become more important than human life. And this talking about technophobia and our, our fear of technology, this that type of fear, and it's a quote from an article that it's universal because its implications on the use of technology becoming the means of one's own death. So there's one fear, or at least something that we can tell that's happening uh, currently, even in North America anyways, just the overconsumption of technology. And I think that that is much more prevalent, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, Jess, in The Ring, whereas it's uh, the idea of technology is it's much more subdued in 
ring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like right now for us, like everything is virtual hangouts, film festivals, conventions, games, concerts, like live streaming concerts. Everything is so easy to access. And I was joking about this last night when we were hanging out. It's like it's so easy to, to see friends now and do stuff because I can just hop onto my computer, whereas I don't have to trek 20 to 30 minutes somewhere on, you know, public transit to get to a place and then do that all the way back home. Like it's just, I'm lazy. <laughs> it's so much easier to do that, but it's also really easy just to be like, no, I'm just going to stay home. No, I'm going to do this. No, no. And it's just easy to become consumed by what we're watching and what we're doing, but predominantly what we're watching. So I felt like for me, I could, as a white North American woman, I felt like I could relate more to the remake, like the opening scene, like oh, we have yes. those two young girls and they're like, what are we going to watch on TV? It's like, I don't know. You choose. And the other was like, I hate TV. You know, like humans use bra- lose brain yes, cells yes. as they watch more and more on TV. And I was like, remember parents I remember saying hearing that, that yeah, but... growing up as a kid, you know? <laughs> You're going to lose brain cells having your eyes glued to that boob tube. And you're like, Jesus, okay. (laughs) That's intense. But the movie opens up with that, right? So that's kind of just, I feel like, setting the tone for the rest of the movie that there's tons of tech talk. Tons. You know, we have Rachel's, uh, I don't think they ever were a partner, but the guy that I forget his name. Oh, uh, God. Noah. His name is Noah. Noah. Right. Yes. Noah. He also looked like yeah, Noah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, Jess's old partner. <laughs> I reminded me of him. Um, so he's like the super tech guy. You know, he does, like, looks like videography and creates films. Like, he just has all the technology everywhere and the cameras and the film equipment and the TVs and his apartment and everything. So it was like prevalent throughout that entire movie whereas besides the tape in ring i don't yeah obviously besides watching the tape like that's just the basic premise of it is you watch the tape and seven days later you die i don't remember really much being involved technological technology wise in really it it really isn't like you find that tvs are very off far in the corners in uh ring you know that's a concept of feng shui concept of not having the TV the center of your room. Rico, she is a journalism She's and she works for film. So I thought what was interesting is that she works for a media outlet that gives a lot of information out to the world. And so right, she, yeah. you know, like, yeah, we only see the tape itself being passed around, but she has some knowledge of technology because she can tell when yeah. there should be certain camera angles that are happening when she's watching the video. And she explains this to her ex, uh, Riju, who is a mathematician, you know, and I think it was really interesting that he's like the sensitive mathematician man yeah. who's trying to like but he's trying to understand what she's going through and she's like well no don't you see like this camera angle should be happening here and like they she so she knows how to use the technology which i think is interesting because it relates back to that idea of you know the japanese like technology is very part of their life it's like an everyday thing and i felt like for mm-hmm. them for the film there was more about how technology is using media like how the media uses technology to put things out into the world and that's how I saw that fear of technology in in Ring because her husband has this one line that says to her he says you know the media is all about rising people up and then tearing them down which is what we know happens in Ring because we find out about you know what happens to uh, Shizuko and uh, Sadako Mm -hmm. right that they were being called frauds and stuff like that because they're being told to do these types of exercises these medium exercises and people are like no this can't be happening right and that's what the media does but they did it through you know mm-hmm. radio and they did it through you know photographs and now this time we're doing it through yeah. video we're doing it through the media we're doing it through journalism because she's taping people too like young girls yeah. about talking about this urban legend this myth about this this yeah. tape that will kill you after seven days so i feel like yeah 
yeah, mm. that kind of fear of is almost like that fear of disinformation coming out of the ring. Yeah. You know, and that's, we see that now in 2021, right? You know, that yeah. fear of disinformation yeah. going out and causing people to make some silly choices out there. And then going back to the ring, like you were saying, techno, techno fear is very prevalent in that film. Like, there are so many shots, like even like that one, and I think you'll agree with me, that one shot where she's sitting on her balcony, she's staring on her balcony and she's like, it mm-hmm. pans to the different apartments and people watching TV, people vacuuming, people on their cell phones, like they're all disconnected and... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that, that blends into, yeah, the themes of social isolation because it's way easier to isolate yourself if you have stuff like that at home. If you have a TV. If you weren't as privileged enough and had the income, you know, like growing up and you didn't really have a TV or had a computer, like I know that I'm sure there's there's families right now that still struggle with this type yeah. of thing because our digital literacy is massive. But what if you can't really afford to have a computer? So you have to go to the library, you have to work at school, you can't even do that now. Yeah. So that I'm sure is an extra stressor on, on those families that rely on this type of stuff that because our digital literacy has to be so good, like that's really, really important. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have the notes about the TVs in the apartment. So it's like, are we being, are they, are we being entertained or are we being numb? Is it, or is it numbing us to the mm. world? Like we're like, they watch this video in, in both the movies and I feel like, is it Rake? Sorry, Reiko in Ring? Yeah. I think she eventually becomes scared or worried, but I don't see it right away. I feel like Rachel in the Ring is spooked right yes. away. They're like, what is this? I know she, obviously everybody's super intrigued. We got to figure this out but I think I feel like she was more easily like transfixed by this and a little bit more gullible and like oh yeah no this must be real this must be real I have to show it to somebody let's like let's figure this out whereas Reiko in Ring was just super intrigued because yes there's this whole urban legend aspect to it and let's investigate this more of like a clinical aspect I guess like she came at it more clinically and then got spooked because things started yeah exactly whereas and I thought that was when you bring up Rachel and how she um engaged with the tape it really to me I feel it comes really comes back to our western and our own cultural approach to what we see on TV is what we tend to believe and what we want mm. and what we and that's what makes us really afraid and so she's watching this visual imagery and she's like oh my god oh my god like I'm I'm believing this I'm gonna go into this thinking that this could really hurt someone I need to do something but at the same time too though she's like there's a story here. I need to investigate yeah. this and let the world know what's going yeah. on which we end up finding out that's exactly what Samara wants <laughs> but yes and so you that kind of brings me to the actual VHS itself. The actual tape itself is quite different between these two movies. So in Ring, it's it's very short. It's very straightforward. There's a couple of weird, disturbing images. But we get so much more out of The Ring and that tape. It gives her way more details to work on going through. Also, because there's a much bigger mystery here that she has to investigate and get to the bottom of, which is very... I feel like very American. Yes, yes. <laughs> in the sense, like, let's just find out every single thing, go and investigate all of these people's lives, go into their lives, come to their home, be like, what's up with your daughter? What happened here? Why? What's going on with the horses? Like, just kind of being nosy. We're obsessed with origins. We need to know why, and we need to <laughs> yeah. know how to stop it. Whereas I find in the Japanese original, it is 
this exists. Okay, we need to find a way to honor the dead and bring this to peace. Okay, mm. cool. Like, yeah, she wants to know what what's going on. She and obviously there's clues throughout it, but I feel like for me with the uh, with the VHS, I I tend to like the Japanese one more just because I find it creepier mm-hmm. with the images because it's mm. so quick and yeah. and I feel like the one in the in the remake is just like too much. <laughs> less is more. Less is more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like. I feel like the the motto for comparing these two movies. Yes, yes. <laughs> Less is more sometimes, folks. Less is more. I love this small, like this little um, article that we came across I thought was really interesting because they, they were comparing uh, Ring and The Ring. It made some really interesting points that I liked a lot. So as modern folks watching movies, it's very easy and safe for us to watch movies. Everything is behind our glass screen. And this is, I, I, I love kind of where this this took me in my brain. So we're watching scary movies from a safe side. So it's, it's in the TV, you know, subconsciously we can equate the glass screen with unreality or something that is not real, obviously. And so the screen actually acts like this, this barrier between reality and maybe fantasy. So the information of the realm of the real is kept within the realm of the unreal. It keeps us at a distance, essentially, is what they were saying, which I you know it's the general premise of this whole episode and what we're talking about, that the reality is out there outside, but here we are in our homes or wherever we're watching, we are protected. We are here, we are safe, it's fine. Then we have Samara or Sadako coming through the TV, coming through the screen at you. You thought you were safe, but you are not. We become complicit. It's really easy for us to sit in our homes, not out in the world, actually experiencing life to judge or become afraid or ignore it. Ignoring is a huge thing. Like it's, and then this whole thing, like you could easily watch this video. You could have watched this ring tape and be like, oh, well, whatever. That's not anything until it bites you in the ass seven days later. And she comes after you reality. And it's almost bringing me back to the Candyman episode as well. But just reminding you that bad stuff happens in the world and you can't ignore it. You cannot ignore it. Bad stuff happens to people. Bad stuff's happening to animals. Terrible stuff's happening to the environment as we speak. And you're watching it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. But it's not in your room right now. It's not in your living room space, in your reality. So therefore... It's not really happening or it doesn't really matter. It's just so easy to ignore it. And I, I really, I really liked that because these people, there's like, whatever, I just watch a VHS tape. I get that attitude, <laughs> you know? I was like, well, that was weird. What else can we watch? Um, but then seven days later, and I know things start being strange, like Toshio and little Aiden, like the little boys, like they watch it, but they start seeing stuff. And, you know, uh, Rachel starts having dreams. Reiko starts having like visions or hallucinations. So things start changing to make it seem like it's real but we don't get that in real life I don't think so anyways I don't I don't have hallucinations <laughs> might have dreams bad dreams but I really liked that what did you what did you think about that uh, article around? no I really like that too because I liked how they said like the you know the success of the ring and why when it first came out people found it so terrifying was because like you said it was breaking that safe barrier it was being like no 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 yeah. The horror stays in TV. It doesn't come into my home. So when I'm sitting at home alone at night in the dark watching my scary movie, I'm like, okay, I can remind myself that that was just a movie and I can just shut it off and walk to my bed and go to sleep. But with The Ring, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. She's coming for you. She the, the terror will come into your home and come and get you. And I liked how you talked about how these, the what's happening with these VHSs and these and all these tapes is like, 
they are showing horrible things that happen to people in the world. So both tapes, even though they're very cryptic in their messaging and stuff like that, they're telling a story, a really tragic story of how these tapes came to be, how they became the rage of some form of mistreatment or some form of, you know, demonization that happened to these uh, small young women, the small girl and a a young woman, because Sadako is actually a young woman when she falls into the well, Mm -hmm. and then Samara Mm -hmm. is a child. And uh, that's really interesting because that is what you said, the reality of when we're watching things on TV, like we are witnessing an experience of something that happened of to real to real life people and that's how it came to be yeah and going into our secondary theme of social isolation so fear of isolation i feel like in in the concept of isolation was portrayed very differently between these two very very different i think that fear of isolation and being ostracized and kept away from society was bigger in ring so samara and sadako are raised in Isolate, I would say isolated situations, but Sadako is a hundred percent isolated up in that barn and that weird situation that is her father decided to put her in with only a TV. Whereas Sadako is more like kept away socially isolated yeah. instead of like actually physically isolated. Samara was l- literally alone. At least Sadako had her mother around for an, a period of time. So both raised in isolation, either physical or social isolation. And Samara, we know, totally only had a TV. I don't remember a TV with Sadako. Uh, the TV doesn't... Okay, so funny enough, so I watch Ring, <laughs> and then I watch Ring 2, and then Ring 0, which is birth, that actually yeah. explains the story of Sadako. And they don't explain okay. the reason... They don't explain the TV until that movie, because there is okay. actually two Sadakus. <laughs> Oh, and one okay. well <laughs> let's not go down that long rabbit hole but i don't remember so so then how briefly how does the tape come into being if she doesn't have access to a tv in the first movie ring yeah yeah that's not that's never explained no it definitely isn't so um so you you watched one of the other movies the the actual story so does it tell you about the video tape yeah so it tells you that the videotape is kind of created by the fact that the child version of Sadaku, that is her rage incarnate, is kept preoccupied watching TV all the time, and okay. that's so it's so like I, what I find with the ring. The Ring has taken mm-hmm. a lot from this other all three of these movies and made it into one film because oh. there because there was elements in the in the Ring that I was watching. I'm just like, why are they in this hospital? I don't get it. Like this is why are they? And, you know, I'm like because I'm like they don't do this in the first film but in the second film they do they go to the hospital they talk to the girl who saw the first girl die and I was like okay and then explaining uh, you know the television because there's actually like in the third movie Ring Zero there's actually a room where they find little Sadako like locked up and there's a television I was like ah there it is Gotcha. Mm. Okay, because so I remember reading an article and they and they said that both Samara and Sadako were raised with only a television. I was like, am I? Did I blink and miss it? But yeah. no. Okay, so thank you for saying that. That no, in the in actual ring, there is no TV. So it's a little. I hate the word plot holes. I'm sorry. No, it no, is. It's just like it's just not as straightforward. It doesn't tell you everything, yeah. which is too bad. But I, even though I didn't notice that there was no TV, once I started sitting down to like type out notes and think about it, I was like, oh, there was no TV. It's fine. So it just kind of is created. That's fine. 
she was a powerful young girl and she was able to kill people at her will. So sure, we have a VHS. Well, like the VHS, <laughs> the rage of her, you know, her abandonment, right? Like her mother's committing suicide, her never knowing her real father. You know, it's 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 essentially yeah. her rage of having been left alone and abandoned. And then also that isolation that comes when people are different. So I find like yes, absolutely. in Ring, it is all about when you are different in the world, you are you yeah. feel isolated. And we get that from the character of Riju and Yochi who are both sensitive. They can sense spirits. They can, yeah. you know, they can have these interactions. And you'll find out again in Ring 2, the second one, there's another woman who has the same experience. She feels very isolated from people because she can connect, connect with the dead. And that's what the whole thing yeah. with Sadako it's all about and how she gets demonized and seen as a monster. Yeah. The other thing that is really, really important, I think, to at least touch on briefly is the aspect of the curse here in order to break the curse in the ring, you have to co- you have to copy the tape yes. in order to be broken from the curse, but you have to pass it on. Yeah. Got to copy it and pass it on, and then you are fine. Well, that person has to watch it. If they don't watch it, then you're not fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely have to watch it. <laughs> copy it. I'm like, meh. Yeah, 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 thank you. But that comes down to sharing the burden of media with others, which is so important because we do that. We do that as a society. Hey, did you see this? Hey, let me show you that. It could be good stuff. It could be bad stuff. Yep. But if, especially if you are, you see something terrible, you want to share it with somebody else. You need somebody else to share that burden. You need somebody else to, to, to witness this. So you're not alone in what you have witnessed. Sometimes that's just films, but, or it's just like real stuff that's happening in real time or on the news or terrible videos that you can find on the internet that we have to show others. So of course these people, they see the video and they're like, I have to show someone. I have to show my ex-husband. I need help. Like, look at this tape. Like, what's going on? Let's figure this Mm -hmm. out. You know, Rachel goes to Noah. It's like, what do you make of this? He's super tech guy. Let's figure this out. He's super techie. She's not, you know, so they can dissect the video and figure it out and slow it down and capture different things. But they have to share it with somebody in order to be able to fully understand what they're seeing. I feel like that's what it is. And it's also perpetuating a cycle of abandonment for children. Because if you really think of it, I remember like watching both the films me like so Rico shows Riju the tape they're both parents to poor little Yochi he's gonna end up alone Rachel and Noah both watch the tape and poor little Aiden's gonna end up alone because they're dead like yeah. Once again, these children are going to get abandoned because they're of their parents' recklessness. So their parents like, well, we need to find out. We need mm. to know. We need to research. We need, and, you know, and then they find out, oh, shit, I'm going to die. So we, now we need to figure out the curse. And then, so for, you know, to solve the issue of abandoning these children, let's have the children watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't feel abandoned in death, I suppose. Right. No family breakdown that way. <laughs> oh, gosh. So what is new in The Ring? So the entire, like, just story of Sadako and her mom, I wrote her name down, Shizuko, sorry. And then we have uh, Samara and her mom, which is Anna Morgan. Very different. So I feel like these differences make a hell of a hell of a lot of sense. So in Ring, have Shizuko predicting the eruption of a volcano. She's seen as other and she's got special powers and then uh, leaves Sadako to be alone with her extra special powers to be attempted murder by her own father, throws her into a well. And then in The Ring, Anna Morgan, very different lady, 
She's a horse lady. She breeds and loves horses, has a farm in this isolated rural community, couldn't have a child. So her and her husband leave and come back with a child. That's all we know about <laughs> that. Okay. So adopted some young girl, Samara. Weird weird things start happening. The very upsetting, disturbing thing about the horses who run and commit suicide and drown themselves is a bit it's that's, that's that was intense. That's intense. That is an upsetting yeah. scene. It's very CGI, but it was very upsetting scene. But very supernatural elements to ring and very just like human weirdness in the ring. Yeah, I will definitely agree with you on the the uh, just weird humans in general. Like Mr. Morgan's suicide <laughs> is over the top, and a part of me is like, oh my I'm goodness. watching. I'm just like, yep. wow, man, you really. You've gone over the top with. I'm like, honestly, a gun would have just done you easier. <laughs> I don't know why. You, or just one toaster. Right? Uh, exactly, too. Like, the whole, like, electrical thing and then the bridal, just to, like, just to really make sure he's dead yeah. he does not want Samara to come after him. Man, the bridal was, like, this nail in the coffin of weirdness of just bringing it back to the horses. Yes. It was very bizarre. Very bizarre. Honestly, I felt like I was watching an Ari Aster movie. It's, like, very disturbing over the top death. In, un, in, <laughs> in my mind, unnecessary. Like, to me, yes. I don't feel like yeah. those deaths, both the death of the horse and of Mr. Morgan, as adding anything to the story. It's just sensualizing yeah. it and just making it more scary, yeah. more intense. And this is where, like yeah. I said, I feel this is where the uh, the ring differs from ring in the sense of sensationalizing all the deaths and all, everything that's happening yeah. with the video and Samara. But then I'm also looking at the emphasis on the paranormal, and I just could not help yeah. but just it like it screams in your face watching the American remake because in comparison to Japan, and that's something that really fascinates me is that the paranormal is just kind of like an accepted part of everyday life in the sense that it's honored and respected. You know, they're looking to find out the mystery behind this tape. They find out about Sadako. They find out about her poor, her sad life. They find out that she's in this well. They want to find her body, bring her peace and honor her, right? And that's just part of Japanese culture is honoring the dead. And then in North America, we are obsessed with talking to the dead and I just can't couldn't help but like see how <laughs> obsessive this yeah. movie is about technology and because we you know when Americans go out ghost hunting we use technology to communicate with spirits you know we have yeah, so much technology. so much technology yep. we use um, we view the paranormal as very otherworldly and we make it scarier so I felt like there's so yeah. many scenes that were you know full of suspense in comparison to the Japanese mm-hmm. one where it's you know part of our day yeah. life and like when they so I thought it was interesting the ring they they bring elements from the Japanese second film Ring 2 into the first film and I remember being like I don't when I first watched The Ring again I was like I don't know why they have the scene where at the mental they're at the the mental hospital and they're talking to Becca you know finding out what happened and I thought that was interesting because it's a common trope in um, North American films to go to um, institutions and asylums because that scares people because there's always a paranormal element involved in that because people have gone insane and it makes people feel very uncomfortable and there's like other insane people out there and just there's She's constant like uh, emphasis on the story of like Samara and her creepiness and how she creeps out the audience and the effects of the ring on Rachel. Yeah. Like you know, we saw with Ryoko, she has like visions stuff like that. But Rachel, she starts having physical effects of the ring. Like we see yes. the bloody nose yeah. when she pulls the um, EI monitor thing out of Is her it, mouth. Like it's uh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It just it's like an EKG yes. monitoring sticky piece adhesive. Yeah. 
Ugh. Yeah. yeah, it's just like it's just <laughs> this extreme idea of the paranormal that's really emphasized throughout oh. the entirety of the film, and then they add the more creepiness to it by making it a creepy child, and then a graphic death, and child yeah. neglect, and yeah. you know, here's why yeah. we'd have a very angry spirit <laughs> because people are terrible. Yeah, that is probably like one of my most favorite things I've ever heard about the comparison of these movies, Jess. That is, oh, a, thank you. That is a really, really interesting way of looking at. It. I never even thought about that. Well, I guess I have in the sense, but not so eloquently but ring is definitely a much more like subdued i was gonna say like a quote smaller film yeah whereas the remake is like it's got to be big it's got to be bombastic it's got to have the the shocking elements it has to like you said play up on what everybody finds scary it's like ooh, ghosts where it's just a natural it's not scary generally speaking i'm gonna say this for the folks in japan because it just is a common it's commonplace thing they're the death of like they're the ghosts of our loved ones and or other people's loved ones and that is not inherently scary but we do that here absolutely we watch these ghost hunting <laughs> ghost hunting videos and it's very you know titillating it's very exhilarating but a ghost moving a chair like if you just think about it like that's not scary they've just moved a chair folks they're just that's it that's all they flickered the lights they have not stabbed you they cannot they are non-corporeal beings why are we so scared uh, should we move on to entertainment value? Yes, yeah, so let's get into the yeah. entertainment value of these films. Our likes, our dislikes, and everything that was like worked and didn't work that was interesting about these films. How about you start? Start us off, Jess. I was really curious going into watching The Ring because I hadn't seen it in 20 years, remembering how much right. it scared me yes. so much the first time I saw it. <laughs> watching yeah. it years later and I think with all the movies that I've watched since then I found The Ring boring (laughs) 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 and tropey and I was like all right all right all right okay like You know, yeah. they, they do, they I, I will have to say they do well in the sense of trying to add things, like t- try to stay kind of close to its original source material as best as possible. And they, and they do like different homages from it. And I love the fact that there is elements of it from the other films of the Ring series right, into right. the first film. But I, you know, it's, it's not like I dislike the Ring. I just didn't like it watching it again I don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's not that you disliked it you just disliked it I just disliked it yeah um whereas I really like Ring like I like that film because it's not in my face it's not over like I find when people treat the paranormal as something as an everyday thing so that kind of gets under my skin a little more because it's like this is normalized cool but then that means that everything I think about the world and life is actually true not cool (laughs) (laughs) I also yeah. uh, love the fact that, you know, when we were doing a research, Kelly found some really interesting material about how the ring, like ring itself, could be based on some actual true events in life in Japan. Um, this comes out yeah. about uh, Dr. Fukari's experiments. And this is actually really interesting because there actually has been a lot of different experiments done on mediums throughout history. But to see some of these experiments that were talked about in this book that was done by this doctor and then to see it on screen, I was like, oh, this is really mm-hmm. cool. And these are experiments that took place in 1931 by Dr. Fukari, who did several, similar experiments with several psychics in the 20th century. So he could write a book mm-hmm. on clairvoyance and thoughtography. And he documented all its experiments in great details. And there were many of these elements that were actually included in the film. I really love that we found actual inspiration from historical events 
in Ring, but also for the Ring. So I, I, I liked this a lot. And we saw the photography or psychic photography, which is the ability to burn, quote unquote, images from one's mind onto surfaces. Yeah like photographic film, right? And we see that all throughout The Ring, which I thought was really, really fascinating to see. Also very creepy. I mean, they don't like play into it very much, but I kind of liked that homage to historical events. That guy, Fukari, or what's called the Fukari Affair, so did a lot of these experiments, but unfortunately his credibility and everything was brought into question and he was criticized for lack of uh, scientific like evidence and his approach to things and everything and he's kind of laughed out of psychology and everything at that time which I thought was was interesting it was also 1910 like what yeah yeah well, <laughs> how much evidence do you have then <laughs> well it's interesting because they talk about um two in this article that we had Kelly had found they talked about two particular cases for example that are very similar to that of the film and that is the case of yeah. Miss um, Chizuku who met Dr. Fakari in 1910 and she was also a rising psychic like our our main protagonist um, Shizoku, Shizaku in mm-hmm. the, the first mm-hmm. film and but they said like 15 other mediums started rising up in fame also her sister and but then when they found out that some of their testing ended up being fraudulent then it caused doubt on everyone else so, so with her when she actually like you know had these gifts she ended up committing suicide by ingesting poison because she no longer felt like she was any use to the world Ring was actually a Japanese mystery novel by a gentleman named Koji Suzuki Suzuki, which came out in 1991. It was about the story of Okiku, who worked in a dungeon beneath the castle, a castle called Haimiji Castle, which stands atop a mountain, and it was built between 1333 and 1346, and it was the home of Lord of Hamiji. Okiku was servant to the samurai named Tessan Aoyama, who they he fell madly in love with her, telling her that he was going to leave his wife and be with her. But Okiku was not on board with this, was not interested in this, and was not going along with that plan. And then the samurai murdered her. But one of her primary duties was to look after apparently 10 highly valuable golden plates that were owned by the samurai. And one day the samurai decided to hide one of them. And so he blackmailed Okiku and said that if she didn't agree to be with him, he would blame this, the disappearance of the plate on her, which would, of course, lead her to being tortured and execute it. So that there's a couple of versions of the story, but one, in one version of the story, Okiku end, ends her own life by throwing herself down the castle's well. In another version, the samurai threw her down the well because she refused to be with. Either way, in the wake of Okiku's death, she was said to crawl out of the well and appear to the samurai on a nightly basis. He was driven, he was apparently driven insane by the vengeful ghost screams in the night. She was regularly heard counting the plates in the dungeon and throwing a fit whenever she realized that the 10th plate was still missing. And she's often depicted wearing flowing black hair and a long white dress, which is very common for women who died mm. under unnatural circumstances because they they are end up mm-hmm. knowing as the Yuri or the faint soul or dim spirit, which is exactly what our two... I guess you would say antagonists, or two ghostly antagonists would uh, look like Samara yeah. and Sadako. Like they are seen dressed in white. They are seen coming out of wells. Mm-hmm. They are seen, you know, seeking vengeance against those who have, may have hurt them. So inspiration for both of these really interesting movies. So some things that I like. So I think Naomi Watts as an actress is fantastic. So I feel like, well, I feel like the acting of through both movies were were really, really great, though Naomi Watts is a pretty stellar, stellar actress. Um, in The Ring, 
I do really, really enjoy the unraveling of a mystery. That's just my, like, just entertaining thing. I was like, ooh, what is this murder mystery? That's why I love, like, forensic files and true crime stories. Like, I like piecing, like, seeing pieces of a puzzle come together. There's a lot more details. We learn more information about Samara than we do in in Ring. So I, I like that a lot. I liked hearing more about. I do like a good origin story as well. So I enjoyed that. Did not enjoy the fact that the Ring is two hours long. Oh, it is. It is, right? (laughs) It's long. And Ring is one hour and 36 minutes. So I can appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) You know, we can't talk about the ring and not talk about the jump scare that rocked an entire nation. So when I saw this movie for the first time, my heart literally stopped in my chest when it's a cut that quick cut to the girl's head rolling backwards in the closet. Like that is the jump scare that rocked the nation. But overall, in my opinion, not a scary movie. That was the only period where, but if you've seen it once, you can't like re-see it. You know what I mean? You can't have that 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 yeah, feeling of like yeah. immediate sudden fear and your heart stopping in your chest. You're like, <gasps> and you catch your breath. Like you'd never get that again. So I just didn't find it scary or spooky. Like really nothing. Whereas Ring, it's creepy. It's it's it didn't scare me. I never felt fear at all, but it definitely has like creepy imagery, creepy moments and how Sudaku walks, which they filmed her walking backwards. When I was watching it this time, I was like, ooh, no, I don't like I don't like that. I don't like what's happening there. Well, I just find like <laughs> for me, I just I, I myself, like, I just find like the Japanese horror films tend to really go on that creepy vibe, which I find in just unsettling. Yeah and gets under your skin whereas yeah Yeah. I just find like with our you know American remakes it's just like no they amp it up too much and I'm just like I'm not scared (laughs) there's there's less of a rewatchability I would say for sure in the rain because you got that one big jump scare and then once you've seen it once and that's it and once you kind of know it it's not you know you know the journey and the destination and it's not it's fine you know that's that's my opinion um I really like the cinematography in the way that the ring was filmed that green hue all over it which is like representation of nature, you know, an ominous tone, corruption, danger, which I like a lot. I love colors, usage of color in film a lot. So I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed that a lot. So one of the last few things I will say that I, you know, both like and dislike is the relationships. So I like Mm -hmm. the relationship in the Japanese one between Raiko and Ryoji. There's this this level of respect, even though it's that's her ex-husband. They both have moved on with Mm -hmm. their lives Mm -hmm. and they both have a level of respect for each other and know where each other's at and they're both on this goal of just helping each other get through this case what I don't like in the ring is Rachel and Noah's relationship romance yes (laughs) (laughs) romance ruins literally everything come on (laughs) necessary just like the whole like she's kind of got like the little jealousy when his assistant shows up and they've got the little banters back and forth and oh you know he has the moment with his son and it's just like so predictable Mm. I'm like oh they've now saved the curse and now they're gonna get together they're gonna be more in each other's lives Mm. no like Mm. I feel like in the original in like the original Roji was like I'm gonna help you and then we're never gonna talk again because like we should have never had a child to begin with (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is a yeah that's that's a really good, good point. The unnecessary romance is thrown into so many Western movies that it's just, it's too yeah. much, man. Why can't they just be adult, mature humans and just like work together and it just be that? Where do you stand, Jess? Do you, where do you stand? Which one's better? Which one do you like more? I think it may have been evident throughout the entirety of this conversation to say that I like <laughs> Ring 
1998 Japanese version more than I like the remake. And that's where I stand. <laughs> All right. Now that we've talked uh, for an hour and a half, I believe, yes, that's not surprising to me. I feel like the general premise of the ring, of the sense of like the VHS, the curse and everything is better set into Japan. Yeah. I feel like it's out of place in North America. I think the OG is creepier. It's more concise of a story. Left out some important bits. It's not as detailed, less cheesy. The remake sometimes is quite cheesy. I feel like the remake maybe is slightly, quote, more fun to watch, but not scary. So for all of these reasons and everything we talked about, for me, it is Ring. Ring is the winner for me. As a general movie, I just think it has better rewatchability. I think it's just the better film overall. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our new sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're Spencer's, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or a good book. Yes. With a hot mug of delicious tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more. But what really stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but with their spooky names. With Shy the 13th and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in hell. I love Croconut. And I'm currently obsessed with Screamsicle. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian listeners, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. So my final thoughts on the remake versus original, but also just this entire month on Japanese horror. And it's actually been a really interesting month for me because I've been watching a lot of Japanese horror and finding some really interesting elements in these films I had never really seen before. I think it's really interesting watching these films from um, a Western eyesight because you don't necessarily always see things the same way as you know, someone from Japan would see watching that film. So I love learning more about these films and reading about the various interpretations that come about these films from um, the country that of origin, but also how we place interpretation and meaning upon them. And so I know like people, you know, would be thinking like, how can you guys like see this idea of this fear of technology and isolation in uh, Ring and The Ring? And, you know, I, I guess you could say like, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but at the same time too, I don't think it is because there's these all these elements are in these films and they may not be screaming at you in the face but they're there they're present and we're also living that experience right now and i think that's what drawn drew kelly and i to talking about this for this month is because technology has become ever more important in our society more now than ever because we this is the only way that we can stay connected to people and also stay connected to the world and understanding what's happening in the world but then we're also seeing more of the terrible stuff that's happening in the world and it's having a really hard cognitive impact on all of us and so we're all trying to find ways in which to cope in which to deal with this and in some ways I find that both the ring and ring shows us different ways in how we deal with social isolation and this overabundance on technology and I feel like in the ring we come to a place of honoring and acceptance and going within ourselves to find out well what drew us to watch this video to begin with and to become obsessed with finding out the story and not end our life in seven days how do i cope within that time period and i feel like for a lot of us in this pandemic we're all going to be going within and dealing with a lot of our fears and what's going on whereas i feel like with the ring we have that western approach of we need to combat this and we need to 
I'm going to say this very frankly, make it our bitch. Like, we cannot let Samara defeat <laughs> us. We need to defeat the evil. And this is what's kind of happening right now in this pandemic. It's like, we need to defeat the virus. We need to defeat the evil. We cannot be controlled. And this is why we're having this division right now in our world between, you know, COVID believers and COVID non-believers. And we're all fighting, but we're all just trying to fight to survive. So... This has been a very interesting month for me in regards to just watching these films, looking at the comparisons, seeing the themes that were coming out of them, experiencing a lot of what's been what we were reading about in terms of social isolation and our over-dependence on technology right now, but then also going back and thinking about films that really used to scare us. And like I said, when I first saw The Ring, it terrified me. I watch it now, it doesn't scare me at all. I, I think, if anything, Ringu, Ring, Ringu, Ring scares me. Oh, Pingu's coming back at you. <laughs> Ring scares me more than ever because I feel like I can relate to that more now than I can relate to the depiction of that type of fear and social anxiety in 2002 uh, now that I'm experiencing it in 2021. My final thoughts. I was very happy to be back in the debate of the original versus remake because I think it's a classic fight between beloved horror fans that we all love having. <laughs> Some people are pretty passionate about it. This time around, I think there are wonderful aspects of both films and something for all types of horror fans to enjoy. If it could have been a tie, it it would have been, but that's not how we roll around here. We must make those tough decisions. Remakes have their place in this world and they don't affect our enjoyment of the originals. Sometimes they can bring into them more modern, you know, experiences into modern times or just show us a different cultural context and bring something new to the table. I love cultural context of things, folks. You got to really think about where these movies are coming from and they're going to be very different. So you kind of have to step away from your Western lens and look at Japanese films from you know, their lens as much as you can. I love Japanese cinema. So this month has been an absolute treat for me. Their portrayal of the human condition transcends any other country. It's so fascinating. They break the boundaries of the human body spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And they do this in, in very incredibly diverse, imaginative, and highly entertaining ways. I've watched a lot of Mike, random other Japanese films, j diving into the infamous guinea pig series. So the Japanese are an imaginative folk. Uh, so I can't wait to take a spin back to Japan in the future. Humans fear what they don't understand. And that is absolutely understandable. There are also so many of us that aren't taught or have the opportunity to be taught how to think critically and evaluate things rationally and not from a place of emotion. Asking questions is the way to reduce our fear of the unfamiliar, the unknown, um, you know, that's new to us. So keep it up. Ask those questions. It's really important. But also, folks, please trust the experts. Social isolation is hitting all of us in many different ways. Our frustrations and rage can sometimes go unheard and we turn to media for comfort and expression. We have podcasts, blogs, movies, and everything to express ourselves and, and just help us cope during all of this. For some, we are thriving. For others, they're developing mental anxieties they've never had before. This is unexplored territory. And as we roll into year two of this pandemic, I hope you all have found healthy ways to cope. And if you want to have a virtual hangout, folks, shoot me a message. I'm free. So that ends our episode on Originals versus Remake, Ring versus The Ring. We want to thank Dance of the Dead for our intro, outro music, Roe Beast, and Brandon for all of his work on our promotional materials. We also want to thank Morbidly Beautiful for their support of our show and their amazing community. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com, our Facebook page, Spinsters of Horror, our Facebook group, The Spinsters of Horror Coven. We are also on Twitter at Horror Spinsters, as well as Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. 
As well, please rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, and any other podcasting app you listen to us on. More comments means that more people can listen to us talk. <laughs> <laughs> we also have merch, so please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop, and we also have a donation button on the main page if you'd like to contribute. Next month is happening. It is Folk Horror Month, everyone my favorite genre of subgenre of horror. And the films up for discussion will be the 1979 film The Wicker Man and the 2018 film Apostle. So till then, remember, the future of fear is female. <laughs> <laughs>